Welcome to the Business Source Podcast. Today we have on Mitch Wax. He's a born entrepreneur who has started several companies and has settled in healthcare. He currently owns Cooperative Home Care. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm located here in St. Louis and I got started with an entrepreneurial idea when I was in sixth grade, as I was just telling you before we launched. When I was in sixth grade, Ryan, uh, a really cool product that was available at the 7-Eleven were um, cinnamon toothpicks. You could buy a half a dozen toothpicks for a couple of bucks and you'd put them in your mouth and you'd suck on them and you'd have the cinnamon flavor. Well, I quickly figured out that I could make these cinnamon cinnamon toothpicks. I could buy the cinnamon oil, or actually I wasn't allowed to because I wasn't old enough. At that time, you had to be over 18 to buy these uh, oils. But I got my mom to buy a bottle of the oil. I bought some toothpicks. I started soaking them. I started underselling the 7-Elevens. I had a better product at a cheaper price. And that was the launching of my very first entrepreneurial adventure. How did that go? Were you the rich kid in sixth grade? Um, I was until the school found out and I got busted. And then they called my mom, who had no idea that I was doing this for profit, just thought I was doing this because I like toothpicks. And uh, the school and my mom pretty quickly put an end to that business idea. What businesses have you started since then? Well, let's see. The next business I ran uh, probably, um, I was in high school and I started producing my own uh, keg parties. keg being a big keg of beer. I would find friends whose parents were going out of town for the weekend. I would then approach them. I would convince them to let us use their home for a party so they could become, you know, famous and one of the cool kids. I would hire a band and pay the band. I'd buy all the beer. I'd hire somebody to work the front door collect $5 a person to come in and drink all you could drink. And I would keep all the profits. And in a way to help minimize the risk, um, I would often, if the party seemed to get a little bit too crazy, I would sneak away into a back bedroom and call the police on my own party anonymously. The police would come, they'd break up the party, everyone would scatter, think it was the greatest time ever because the police busted up the party. And um, I was able to, to keep producing these parties. So, um, so yeah, it's not very often where you probably hear your guests talk about how they call the cops on themselves. But um, I was able to do that, and it helped uh, keep keep trouble at bay and maximize profits. How much money were you able to get during during high school using this business? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, uh, I could could usually uh, bring in 
about $600. But then I had to give the band 50 bucks and all the beer they could drink. I had to give somebody about 20 bucks to work the front door. And then I had to buy the kegs of beer. So I would usually end up walking away with about 400 bucks, you know, for basically one afternoon's worth of work, which is pretty cool back. Now, this is back in the day. It doesn't sound like a whole lot now, but back in the mid 70s, that was a lot of money, man. Definitely. I don't think you're advising doing parties right now with beer for high school students, but what would be a good business they could do right now? Um, yeah, I don't advise uh, people taking the same path I did. What I do advise is finding their own path. And it's really not the right question to ask as to what's a good business to get into, Brian, right now. It's really the right question to ask is what are you passionate about? So as your listeners are, are out there trying to figure out what to do, my answer is not, oh, well, you know, TikTok is the best way to make money now. It may or may not be, but the answer really is a question. And the question is, what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? What brings you a ton of joy that you're willing to put 60 hours a week into so that it can be successful, sometimes 70, 80 hours in a week. And if you don't love it, Brian, man, you're just not going to last, right? So it's really not one particular business. It's about what are you passionate about? Now, in sixth grade, I really didn't have much of a passion other than I thought it was cool to make some pocket change selling cinnamon toothpicks. In high school, I mean, I got a lot of attention. Um, I was very popular and I had a ton of spending money. Um, so those were some motivating factors to me. But going forward today, um, I, I think the question you have to ask yourself before you jump into business is, what am I passionate about? Going off of that, you've started multiple businesses. Have you found a certain process to turn your passion into a business? There isn't necessarily a process because it's not cookie cutter, but there are definitely a list um, of, of things that you have to do, steps you have to take in the early stages, the mid stages, and then the later stages to launch the company, to make sure it's up and running and profitable, and then eventually to exit the company whatever exit looks like to you. Right. So you're in healthcare right now and healthcare is a business. As a kid, you're told if you want to grow up and be successful, get a job and do well for yourself. If you want to be rich, get a job as a doctor in healthcare. How do those two correlate? Are you, you found it pretty lucrative? I have found my business pretty lucrative. But I will tell you that it comes with incredibly high risk. And you have to be able to stomach risk. And the kind of risk I'm talking about is the kind where you can be completely and 100% wiped out, down to zero. 
until you are uh, famous and successful enough, maybe not famous, but successful enough, where all you're doing is using other people's money and you don't have much personal risk. But even then you have risk of losing other people's money and that's no fun either. So I think too often entrepreneurs get caught up on this concept of, oh, if I go into business myself, I'm gonna be wealthy. Well, maybe, but do you know how many businesses succeed out of 100 that start on January 1? After one year, 50% of those conservatively are out of business. After five years, 80% are out of business. After 10 years, 93% are gone. So the idea that, oh, it's easy, just I can do that. Uh, I'll just open up my own company and man, I'm just gonna shovel money out the back door into my car. It just doesn't work that way. So I don't want people walking away thinking it's an easy path to wealth. It's the hardest path there is, but it's the most rewarding path there is. And to me, the risk reward is so much of the fun part of it. Now, that may make, may make me a little twisted. And I know plenty of people who won't argue with the comment that I'm a little twisted. But you have to love the business and you have to love what you've chosen to do in business. So I love the art of business. I love everything about it. I actually like that more than any one particular business or industry that I've been a part of, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about cooperative home care, your business right now. Well, uh, cooperative home cares is, is one of my businesses and what it does is it works in the uh, senior space where we provide labor uh, for seniors in their seniors home to keep them out of a nursing home or an institution. So we send in anything from a, a, a companion to a caregiver, a personal aid, an LPN, an RN, specialized nurse, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, anything it takes to keep that senior independent and out of a nursing home. Which is, which is really important right now during this time of COVID because nursing homes are incubators for COVID. And so many of them are struggling to keep their people safe. Whereas if you're in home care, you're not going to have that same kind of risk. What does it look like on the senior side when they're purchasing your product? And what does it look like on your side uh, for helping the senior? Uh, well, that, that's uh, two good questions. I would say, first of all, it, doesn't look like a whole lot on the senior side because we're really not selling to the senior themselves, uh, which may sound a little strange. We're actually selling to the adult children because, you know, I don't know, Bryant, um, your situation, but um, if you have a grandparent that's starting to age, uh, your grandparent's not going to call me for help. It's often going to be 
their kids who are going to call me for help. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So now from my end of it, uh, okay, so let me go back. So from their end, what they're concerned about are safety for their parents um, or their grandparents. They're concerned about reducing the stress that taking care of a senior um, uh, has put on them and their family. Sometimes they're concerned about price. Lately, they're really concerned about COVID. And uh, so that's how they approach it. They're asking these types of questions. From my end, on the delivery side, I mean, our issues are largely logistic. So, you know, we're hiring labor and then we're using technology to match up caregivers and and the uh, seniors and um, and who's going to work where and who's going to take care of who, when and how. And, and so our end is a logistics end. And to some degree, we are a giant um, a giant HR company uh, hiring, training and dispatching care staff, not unlike, you know, a hospital or other institution. We're just doing it into people's homes. You mentioned you have other businesses right now. Uh, would you mind going over no, that? We, I mean, I also have a, a, a staffing company um, that provides um, temporary staffing, um, sometimes temp to perm. Um, I have a real estate business. I'm just launching a new business around my book um, on entrepreneurship, which is really right now my biggest passion, is teaching young entrepreneurs how to navigate the waters so that they have the best chance they can to survive and thrive and beat these statistics that I told you about earlier. Tell us a little bit about your book. Sure. Well, my book is probably 500 pages, and um, which is longer than anybody who's helping me suggest that I make it. The common um, report that I was uh, has have been given, excuse me, has been you know 150 to 200 pages, 230 tops. Like okay, but. Yeah, I was not able to share everything I wanted to share in, you know, 150 to 200 pages. Right. So um, it's a lot longer, which I don't know what that means. It means that people may uh, be frightened to pick it up in the beginning, but hopefully um, it's they're going to find that it's digestible in small parts because I've broken it down into 45 chapters. So each chapter is relatively easy to digest. And it really walks you through uh, the very basic concept of coming up with an idea, understanding your why, which to me is the most important thing you have to do at every step, um, getting the business launched, putting the team together, making sure you have the funding, looking at the numbers, the HR side, the sales side, the marketing side. Um, all the way through um, exiting and your exit strategy. 
So it really covers what I believe to be every aspect of launching a new business and making it successful and then monetizing that success or that idea on the back end. Me and a friend were talking about an idea for um, creating business ideas lately. We're talking about how businesses like Uber, Amazon, DoorDash, these big companies aren't really selling their product. They're just getting in between the customer and the service. For instance, Airbnb, they don't own the homes, but they're just getting in between the person renting the house and the person staying at the house. What are your thoughts on right. this? Well, I think it's a it's a it's a great model. And anytime you can disturb the longstanding model of how something is done, you really can be a major player. Now, if you go back and think about Amazon, which is not that old at all, it's not one of these blue chip companies that have been around for 150 years. They started as a reseller of used books. That's it. It was a platform that made it easy to go find some used books. But then take a look at what they've turned that company into. I mean, it really has nothing to do with used books anymore. Uh, you're absolutely right. They're involved in making money on every aspect of consumerism that they can. That's from, you know, selling goods and services, uh, then to now often they are manufacturing or contracting out to manufacture goods that other people were selling on their platform. And they're discounting those where they believe there's an opportunity to drive people out of the market where they then can take control. What was a small internet bookstore has turned into this behemoth where they are constantly changing and turning on its head the idea of consumerism, retail and wholesale sales. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable to watch. So yeah, it, can you put yourself between the end user and let's say a manufacturer? Yeah, of course you can. I mean, if you can figure out a way to disturb the industry, boy, you really can create something that's brand new. Now, does that mean you won't have some serious growing pains and it's totally easy? God, no. You know, Uber, Lyft, they're having some serious and have had serious growing pains over the last few years from CEO scandals to pushback from unions in California right now to some serious fighting back from the taxicab industry. So if you get enough attention with your brand new idea that has disturbed an industry, don't expect everyone to roll over and just say, oh, well done, congratulations, okay. They're not going to, um, they're gonna fight back. And so you better be prepared to fight along with it. And you better have the resources to fight back. So, um, but when it happens and it works, man, that's exciting stuff, Brian, exciting stuff. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, tell me a little bit about your real estate company. I've been researching real estate a lot lately, and I'd like to learn a little bit about it. Well, I, I would say the best way is to find people who are in the type of real estate that you want to be in and then sit down and talk with them. You, I would say you can read a few books, maybe go to a few blogs, but I will tell you, Brian, most of that stuff is very, very generic, and real estate is very specific to your community. One of the best pieces of advice I ever received was start by buying in a neighborhood that you're familiar with. And once you understand that's a good way to start learning, that's great. Uh, the, I, the people that want to sell you these um, packages on how to you know, get rich quick by selling real estate likely never made a dime in real estate, but they're trying to make a dime by selling you the program on how you're going to get rich. But they never did it themselves. You know that old adage, Bryant, those who can't do, teach, and those who can't teach, teach Jim. So um, these are... Uh, the kind of programs I would likely stay away from. But what I would suggest to your listeners is find somebody in the area that you really want to get involved in. Is it residential real estate? Is it multifamily real estate? Is it commercial real estate? Is it warehousing, which I have a friend who's you know killing it right now in the warehousing side of real estate? Is it... Uh, real estate investment trusts? Is it, um, is it large um, apartment complexes? Um, is it, you know, commercial malls or strip centers? Whatever your fancy is, find somebody in your community that has very successfully navigated that, that part of real estate because you know the amount of pieces uh, that you can get involved in in real estate, the, the various ways is just is endless. It's just, it's just so many ways to make money in real estate. So find the person that's really doing it, what you think you want to do, and then send them an email, introduce yourself, tell them you're looking for somebody who is smarter than you are to sit down and maybe give them some thoughts or advice Offer to buy them a cup of coffee that may be tough in COVID. Offer maybe just to have a, a virtual Zoom cup of coffee with them so that you can pick their brain. A whole lot of people right now, Brian, are available that never would have taken your call a year ago. And why is that? Because of COVID. I mean, they're working from home. And they have availability. That also means they may not have three people screening their calls and their emails. So the idea that you're reaching out to somebody who you may think, oh, they're never going to talk to me. Well, now is the best time. Pick up the phone, uh, give them a call, um, send them uh, an email, send them a text, and explain your situation and ask in a very polite way for help. And then learn everything you can from that person because that person knows about your particular community and what's happening in real estate in your in the very area that you already live in. Uh, what I would make sure you don't try to do is 
if you're living in Chicago, talking to somebody who is involved in real estate in Southern Florida and think that you can reproduce what they're doing in Chicago because you can't. There are two different markets. So look for a person that's in your exact market doing the exact type of real estate that you think you want to get involved in and sit down and talk with them and learn as much as you can and then determine, is this a go or a no-go? You never know. They may end up being a great mentor for you because they want to help, you know, newer entrepreneurs out. So that would be my suggestion. Uh, just to say, oh, here's an idea of how you can make money in real estate is irresponsible in my mind. So I'm not going to tell you how to make money in real estate. you got to figure out what you're passionate about. It goes back to the same idea. No matter what kind of business we're talking about, Brian, you want to be an entrepreneur, whether it's in real estate or healthcare or um, or agribusiness. I mean, you just have to know your passion. You have to um, be able to articulate your passion, and then you need to start doing your research. So I hope I give you maybe not the answer you were hoping for, but that's how I would approach it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a that's some very good information. It's not really what you know, it's who you know. How do you come into contact with these people who are doing the stuff that you want to do? Well, okay, so here's one way. Um, look at the names on the signs of real estate uh, signs that you see up in your area. You know, uh, often you'll see like this building is for lease and it's a commercial real estate company who's putting um, the uh, who who is managing the property or. Uh, maybe even they have some ownership in it. Anyway, you, you see a big sign in the front saying commercial real estate release. Okay, great. You are interested in the commercial real estate piece. So the name on that sign in the front of that building says um, Solomon, Goldman, and, um, and Trump. <laughs> Just to throw out an example. You call them up and say, can I speak to Mr. Solomon? Uh, Mr. Solomon's dead. Great. How about Mr. Goldman? Uh, senior or junior? I would go with senior. And and then they connect you uh, maybe to a secretary who tries to screen you. And you just have to use your charm to get past the gatekeepers. But start with the names on the signs of these companies and then figure out who they are. An easier method might be through social media than trying to get through their personal secretary or assistant. So, you know, you notice that, you know, Goldman's got a Facebook page. Great. You know, go find that Facebook or Instagram page. Make friends with them. Send them a instant message. Or put a post on their page introducing yourself and saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you if you have a few minutes for a virtual cup of coffee. I mean, you know, these days there are so many ways to that are not traditional. Um, so use what's available to you to find a path to get to them and uh, and make an introduction. But but that would be like an idea if you want to get in the commercial real estate side. You know? 
Would you say the same principle applies to any other business, such as if you were interested in going into healthcare, find someone who's doing it and then contact them? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a universal principle, Bryant. So as you're doing due diligence to get into anything that you have a passion for that we talked about, one of the things you have to do is research. And because eventually you're going to have to take that research and sell it to investors. You're going to have to convince them they should invest in you unless you're going to use all your own money and invest in yourself, which is very possible. But even if you're going to you know, go to your friends and family for money, for capital, you're going to need to present them a case that makes them confident that you can succeed. And one of the things you have to do is a lot of research and, and, and interviewing people in your industry that have done it before successfully is a key part of that research that has to happen. It doesn't matter what, re, you know, what industry it is. You want to open up a pet grooming business. Fabulous. Well, who do you know that in your community that is already doing you know, pet grooming businesses? And for this particular business, it may not have to be in your community. Yeah, maybe you know somebody out of state that runs a, or works at a pet grooming business. You contact them. You see if you can get from them to the owner. You then ask the owner if they've got some time to meet with you because you're trying to learn about the industry. And you sit down and pick their brain. So you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You need to do that research and, and talking to people that have done it successfully before you is a great piece of research to start with. Thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything you think we should have covered during the podcast episode? Well, I think that there are so many aspects of entrepreneurial business that most people don't understand and don't know about, which is the reason I wrote my book. Uh, I don't know if you've come across this before, Bryant, but I've come across many people who had a really good idea for a product or a service, and they launched a company, and they're up and running. And then you talk with them, and maybe you're at a cocktail party. Well, you're not anymore. And you start asking them and they're, they're telling you about troubles they're having. And you quickly understand that they have no idea anything about how to run a company. They believed in themselves and one particular product, and that's all they had, which is good enough to launch. It just isn't good enough to sustain. And before you know it, if you were to find them a year or two years from now, they're out of business because they didn't know the basics of how to run a business, how to run a company. They just thought if I have a great idea, if I have, if I build a better mousetrap, the world will come to me. Well, the world won't come to you. What we know now is it's very rare, very few and far between that a company will have such an incredible product that the world rushes to them. It takes you going out to the world and saying, here's what I have to offer. And you need to know how to do that. And I feel like too many people don't have a great business plan 
and they don't have maybe great team members. They just don't have all the tools in the toolbox to go from launching their wonderful idea or their great service to a sustainable business that can last five years, 10 years, or in my case, 35 years. Right. Um, thank you so much. You want to move into some final questions? Sure. Okay. First Go of ahead. all, what is your favorite business book? Boy, that's tough because one of the appendixes to my book is a list of about 150 business books that you should read, <laughs> which seems incredibly daunting, but I actually have a technique on how people can do it. Can I share that technique? With your listeners right now? Yeah, definitely. Share it. Okay. So um, there are too many business books to have a favorite, but I will not dodge the question and I will tell you my favorite. But uh, the technique to getting through a lot of these business books is the following. You pick up the book and let's say, and I heard on an earlier podcast, somebody referenced the four-hour work week. Great book. Um, although you're quickly going to get into by chapter three, you're going to figure out that they don't really mean you're only going to work four hours. But you read the first paragraph of each chapter and you read the last paragraph of each chapter. You read the first and last sentence of every paragraph in between. If you do that, you will get all the information you need from that book. You can always go back and look for bigger details, but you will walk away with all the key points if you follow that concept. First chapter, last chapter, excuse me, first paragraph, last paragraph of each chapter. First sentence, last sentence of each paragraph in between. You'll fly through that book in no time and get all the major points. Now, getting back to your original question. Do I have a favorite business book? Um, like I said, that's really tough because there's so many categories. I wish you would have narrowed it down. But I would say um, a good place to start would be Jim Collins' Good to Great. That's a good one. That's I'll a good sure one. i to put it into the show notes along with your book, of course. What is your book called again? Uh, Brian, I don't have a book title yet and it's not ready, so... Um, I'd love it if your listeners were going to support me, but unfortunately, I don't have anything to sell to them right this minute. So I'm happy just to share the knowledge I have with you and your listeners. Well, um, even though I don't have a book yet. Is there a release date? Maybe they could just search up your name once it comes out and hopefully they'll find it. I don't have a release date yet, but they can go to my website if they're interested in learning about uh, my book. And like I said, my book is a primer on everything you need to know from beginning to end on how to be an entrepreneur. It's not a short book. It's not one of those easy books that um, says, oh, you can get rich quick if you just read these 75 pages. I mean, it's like a textbook on everything you need to do. And they'll be able to find that probably by the summer, but uh, they can probably uh, go to mitchwax.com, M-I-T-C-H, 
W-A-K-S.com. And they can check back there and assume it's available for pre-order. They can order one. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. Sure. Um, what is the best advice you would give to your younger self? That is a fabulous question. Uh, I love that question, Brian. Um, I stole it from someone. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, uh, who says we have to invent uh, everything ourselves? Uh, often um, it is the, um, uh, the best ideas are stolen and then repurposed. So here's something, uh, and there's a lot of things I would tell my, my younger self. What, one thing is, um, don't worry so much. It's going to work out. Uh, the next thing that I would share with them is a little more practical. Um, when confronted with a problem, don't ask how to fix it. Entrepreneurs don't ask that question, Brian. The question to ask is, who already has fixed this before? So I can contact them and have them tell me how they did it. Too often, young entrepreneurs are faced with a problem and they gather their team together and they say, okay, how do we fix this problem? That's not what experienced entrepreneurs do. We don't ask how, we ask who. Who's already done this? Let's contact them. And I think that is, if you could take one piece of advice away, that would be a, a one that's going to save you so much time and aggravation. Don't ask how, ask who. That's great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Brian, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Definitely. We'll see you later.